And we are back. Welcome, everyone. This is Mark Pantano, and you are listening to Declaring Liberty. Today is Thursday, February 13th, and I'm actually feeling pretty good today. Uh, Feeling much better than yesterday. I got all my ranting and raving out of my system yesterday, so I uh, thank you for indulging me in that and listening to me. I also got a good night's sleep last night, which uh, seldom happens for me, so feeling real good. Now, I would like to begin today by closing the loop on what we spent much of the last podcast talking about, and that was the Republican results of the New Hampshire primary. Now, if you didn't listen to that episode yet, you really need to. It was episode 63. I explained it in detail. Um, I'm not going to explain it in detail today, but um, the point of, uh, of my commentary about this yesterday was to address the talking points that were making the rounds. And that was Trump got huge numbers in the New Hampshire primary. His vote total far surpassed all recent incumbent presidents running in the New Hampshire primary. Trump, uh, I finally have the final numbers, by the way. I didn't have the final numbers yesterday, but I have the final numbers. Trump got a total of almost 130,000 votes in the New Hampshire primary. To compare that to past presidents, Obama got roughly 49,000. George W. Bush got 50, almost 54,000. And Clinton got almost 77,000. So Donald Trump got much more votes, many more votes than those past presidents did. Okay, And so the argument and the talking points that made the rounds yesterday was that Trump's performance in, in, in the New Hampshire primary is evidence that he is basically the most popular president in American history, that he is going to win in a landslide. Because look, Obama won big, Clinton won big in 96, and they got much less, much much fewer votes than Trump did. And so the fact that in, in an uncontested New Hampshire primary for Trump to get this many votes is evidence of uh, a, a coming landslide victory in November. Now, that's what you heard everywhere. That's what you heard on Fox News. You, heard, you saw it all over social media. You probably heard it on talk radio, although I didn't listen to talk radio yesterday, so I don't know for sure. But I would guess that they they covered that, and that was their spin. The problem is that uh, that spin, that argument, is just uh, propaganda. That's what it is. Because you cannot compare Trump's vote totals to the vote totals of these past presidents. And the reason is very simple. Trump campaigned in New Hampshire, whereas none of the other presidents did. Okay, They all had uncontested primaries. None of them were challenged in any serious way. Now, as I said yesterday, every incumbent president has some primary challengers. Okay, They all do, but they're usually just nobodies who have absolutely no chance of winning. That was the case with, with Bush, Obama, and Clinton, and that is the case with Trump. Trump has no serious competition. He's going to win the Republican la- uh, nomination in a landslide. That's never been in doubt. Um, now, when faced with uh, nobodies 
and basically an uncontested primary, most presidents choose not to compete in the primaries because why would they? Why are they going to waste their time and, more importantly, their financial resources competing in uncontested primary elections? Why would you do that? It's silly. There's no reason to do that. Uh, But Trump did. He went all out. He spent money. He spent time. He coordinated with the state Republican committee. He coordinated with the Republican National Committee. Um, They did everything. They pulled out all the stops. Uh, They did the robocalls. They had the, the texts and the emails uh, repeatedly to every member of the Republican Party in the state of New Hampshire, urging them to go out and vote for Trump in the primary, even though it was uncontested. He even held a big rally in Manchester the night before. So he did everything he could to drive up his vote totals. And why did he do it? Well, he did it for the narrative. He did it so that he can compare himself to past presidents and say, see, I got so many more votes than these guys. This proves how popular I am. This shows that I'm going to win in a landslide. Uh, well, it doesn't, it doesn't actually show that at all. It shows, if you want to talk about percentages, it just shows that Trump's performance was pretty typical. And if you make certain logical assumptions, it actually raises some red flags for the Trump campaign, which I think is much more to the point why Trump focused on New Hampshire and focused on trying to drive up his vote totals. It, it was done to mask some of the problems that I think their internal polling showed. Now, what I didn't have yesterday were the percentages that the past presidents got, and I, I didn't have the final numbers for Trump. Now we have all of that. Okay, Trump's final percentage of the vote was... That's what he got. Even with running up his vote total in an uncontested primary, he only got 85.6% of the vote. So how does that compare with past presidents? Well, it actually, he he got higher, a higher percentage than all the past presidents. Okay, Obama got 81%. George W. Bush got 79, almost 80%. And Bill Clinton got 84.4%. So Trump outperformed all of them as a percentage. Not much higher than Clinton. Clinton got 84.4. Trump got 85.6. So about 1% better than Bill Clinton. But again, the problem is you can't even compare percentages. Even those are comparing apples to oranges. And why? Well, again, it's because those other presidents didn't compete and Trump did. So... Trump expanded his number of votes, which gave him a greater percentage than he would would have gotten if he didn't campaign. If he didn't have a get-out-the-vote effort, then he wouldn't have gotten 129,000. He would have gotten some smaller number of votes, and as a result, he would have had a lesser percentage. Now, the fact that he did not outperform these past presidents very much as a percentage of the vote, even though he campaigned and they didn't, That is actually kind of concerning. And to show you how concerning that is, let's play with the number a little bit. Let's make, let's make some assumptions. Okay. Now, admittedly, this is just supposition because this didn't happen. And we're just going to make some assumptions here to play with the numbers. Okay. But let's assume Trump did not campaign in New Hampshire, just like these other presidents didn't, did not campaign. His vote total would have been less. So 
let's pick a number. Okay, he ended up getting 129, 696,000 votes. What if he was more in line with what past presidents got? Okay, let's take a look at the, these past three presidents. Obama got 49,000 votes. Bush got 53,000 votes. Clinton got 76,000 votes. All right, let's say Trump's vote total was more in keeping with historical norms for incumbent presidents. But let's say he still outperformed them handily. So let's say he got 80,000 votes, which would have been much higher than Obama, like almost double Obama, almost double Bush, and uh, significantly more than Clinton. So let's say Trump got less than he got, but he still got way more than they did. So let's give him 80,000 votes, which is still a high number, 80,000 votes. If Trump got 80,000 votes the other day, what would his percentage total have been? Because you got to, you know, it, it stands to reason that Bill Weld would have gotten what he got. It doesn't matter whether Trump came and, and, and campaigned or not. Bill Weld still would have gotten what Bill Weld got. So his raw number would have been the same. The only thing that would be different is the number of votes that came out for Trump. So let's scale that back down to 80,000 for Trump. Trump's percentage would have been only 78% of the vote if he did not campaign and we assume he gets 80% or 80,000 votes, which I think is still being generous for purposes of this, um, this, this discussion. I'm still giving him way more than any of the other presidents. I'm just adjusting it down to what would be more, um, more of what we would expect. Trump would have only gotten 78% of the vote. Now compare that percentage to the past per, uh, percentages of the past presidents and Trump does worse than all of them. So if Trump got 78% of the vote, let's compare it. Obama got 81%. Bush got 80%. And Clinton got 84%. So Trump, if he didn't campaign as he did, he may very well have only gotten something like 80, 80 or 78% of the vote, and he would have performed worse than these past presidents. And I think that that's what his internal polling was showing. And if that were the case, it would, it would uh, you know, expose the propaganda that we've been hearing for months and months and months as being nothing but lies. Because we've been told that Trump is the most popular, not only Republican president in recent history, but any president in recent history, if not all of American history. That's the lie that we've been told for months and months and months. And that he is, that he, that he is going to win in an epic landslide. Well, if he didn't compete and drive up these vote totals and he got 78% of the vote, uh, that, would, that would have put the lie to all of that. As I told you yesterday... Trump makes it a habit every single week, if, if not every week, even multiple times a week, telling us that he has 95% support in the Republican Party. Well, if he ends up getting only 78% of the vote in a Republican primary and, and loses a sizable percentage to a nobody like Bill Weld, that blows up that image. And you can't have that. And so that, I think, is the reason 
Why? Because it's a natural question. Why the hell would Trump compete and put money, resources, and time into a an uncontested primary in New Hampshire? Why would you do that? Well, I think this is the reason. I think they knew that this was going to happen. I think this is what their in- internal polling showed. And that would have been terrible. That would have been terrible. And if you notice, when all of this is being reported, when Trump's big numbers are being reported, they don't report the percentage. They only report his vote total. Because even with his inflated total, his percentage is only 85%. Well, that's much lower than the 95% support among Republicans that he's constantly telling us about. And it's also not that much higher, even with the inflated vote total, than past presidents who didn't compete. So you can't compare percentages. You have to compare raw total numbers. And in that way, it looks like Trump won this huge victory and that it's historic and it's showing an impending landslide and all of this. When if you just apply some logic and, uh, you, you know, compare what actually happened back then versus what happened this year, and then make some uh, suppositions and play with the numbers a little bit, uh, it's easy to see that it's not all roses and sunshine as the, the Trump campaign is putting out there. And look, I don't blame the Trump campaign for doing this. Uh, they all do this sort of thing. You try to manage expectations. You try to control the narrative. You try to create a storyline that helps you. That's, that's nothing new. What I cannot stand is our phony conservative media who just does nothing but push Trump and Republican propaganda and talking points. You know, we don't get an actual discussion of the results or the facts. All we get from them is Trump propaganda. That's what we get. We just get Trump's Twitter feed filtered through our conservative media. That's all we get. We get Trump talking points and that becomes uh, talking points on our side all across the board. You know, it goes from Trump's Twitter feed, from his campaign manager's Twitter feed, uh, to Fox News, to Rush Limbaugh, to Mark Levin, to Sean Hannity, and then filtered out to, to all of their listeners and viewers. And then it's repeated ad nauseum millions of times a day by people on social media. And then that becomes the narrative. That becomes the established fact. I'm just sick of it. I'm, I'm sick of not dealing with facts. I'm sick of us just believing the propaganda. You know, it doesn't make it... It's still propaganda, whether it's coming from the left or our side. I just refuse to be a part of that echo chamber. I refuse to be part of the Republican groupthink. And that's why I wanted to talk about these numbers a bit, just to show you how it works. To show you how we are being played and manipulated and how narratives and bullshit stories uh, take root in, in conservative media and Republican circles. I'm just sick of it. So, okay, that's enough with that. Now, I was thinking, I, was, I got on the Twitter this morning and I saw some, some tweets from Trump. And one of them was a, a tweet that you've all seen a million times. He wrote in all caps, drain the swamp, exclamation point. We want bad people out of our government, 
exclamation point. Okay, that was one of Trump's tweets today, and he tweets this kind of stuff all the time. He, I don't know how many times he has tweeted drain the swamp over the last three years, but he, he, he does it all the time. And I'm thinking about it, and I'm just... I'm just kind of over this shtick uh, because that's what it is. Because the fir- I read that and the first thing that comes to my mind is like, uh, you're the president. Instead of going on Twitter and tweeting drain the swamp, how about you go into your office and actually start draining the damn swamp? There's only one person in the country with the authority to do exactly what you're demanding be done. And that is you. You can drain the swamp. You know, a few days ago, after Trump was acquitted, he fired a bunch of people or he reassigned them or whatever. Um, he he kicked Vindman out of the White House and uh, Ambassador Sondland and all these people. And he defended his actions by saying, hey, look, I'm the president. I have a constitutional right to fire whoever I want. He said it many, many times um, in response in questions about about these firings. And, and he's right. He does have that constitutional authority. He tells us all the time now. He can fire whoever he wants. That was the justification for firing Comey. I can fire whoever I want. And he's right. And really, he should have fired Comey on day one. But that's beside the point. But yeah, he has that right. He can fire whoever he wants. So what the hell is he still tweeting, drain the swamp for? Fire these people. Fire them. And so it's, it's annoying to me because I hear him railing against these things, the swamp and whatever, when he's the one with the authority to be able to do something about it. So, so, so enough already. Enough. I'm over it. I'm fed up with it. I'm tired of the tweeting and the complaining. Start doing it. We're three years in already. And then that got me to thinking. Because this is Trump's whole thing. Whether it's draining the swamp or it's, uh, you know, illegal immigration, it's always be out of his control. It's, he can't do anything about it, but damn it, I want something done. And that's all that it takes to keep the base happy. They don't care that we're not actually draining the swamp. Just as long as Trump keeps demanding that we drain the swamp, even though he does virtually nothing to drain the swamp, that keeps them happy. Um... And as long as he has some deep state to argue against, uh, they're happy. And they don't really care that we're actually not doing anything to stop illegal immigration in any serious way. uh, Because it's not Trump's fault. It's not his fault. He can't do anything about it. So you have the litany of excuses. Oh, Congress won't work with him. Oh, it's stupid Paul Ryan. Oh, it's the courts. Oh, it's blah, 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 blah. It's always just a bunch of excuses, and Trump is powerless. The president has no power. Why would you think the president has any power? He has no power. Trump could stop illegal immigration in its tracks today if he wanted to. Go to my Twitter account. Look at my pinned tweet. I have several things listed that he could do right now. We've talked about it here many, many times. He could put the military on the border. Despite what all the morons claiming posse comitatus say, he can he could shut the border right now, putting the military on, military on the border. He can stop this phony asylum process dead in its tracks right now. We don't have to admit another one. He can start doing mass deportations. He doesn't need permission or 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 help from Congress or the courts to do that. 
Uh, and the, the list goes on and on. He could prosecute employers. You do, you start doing these things, you stop illegal immigration in its tracks. You stop people from coming, and the people who are here, you start deporting in mass, and the people you don't round up and deport, they will leave on their own when you prosecute employers and they can't find work, uh, when they have to go back to actually living in the shadows for fear of being picked up by ICE and deported. They will leave on their own. They got here, they'll find their way back. But anyway, so Trump... Trump has all the power right now, but we, he pretends that he doesn't. He pretends that he's completely powerless to do anything about it. He can't, he can't drain the swamp. It's, it's the deep state won't let him. He can't stop illegal immigration. The courts won't let him or whoever, Paul Ryan still, whoever. It's not his fault. And this reminded me of, you know, cause I, I go back and I, I think I relate things back to what you hear from people in conservative media. And I remember listening to a very similar thing being talked about by Rush Limbaugh during the Obama administration. Obama used to act like he wasn't responsible for anything. Everything happening was all somebody else's fault and it's not him. You know, he's fighting the system and he can't really do anything about it. He's just a poor put upon Obama. He's just a poor put upon president. He doesn't really have any authority to do anything. It's all somebody else's fault. And this is why he was never responsible for anything. Rush Limbaugh used to talk about this all the time. He used to talk about it so much that he had a phrase for it. It was, he called it the Limbaugh theorem. Now, those of you who have been listening to Rush for a long time, you will recall this. He called it the Limbaugh theorem theorem. So I went back and tried to uh, find some example of Rush Limbaugh explaining it. And I got a, a short clip of him talking to Greta Van Susteren on the Fox News channel, explaining the Limbaugh theorem. Now, listen to a little bit of this and tell me if this doesn't sound like what we have from Trump right now. And I came up, well, I call it the Limbaugh theorem. And you hear other people talking about it in the sense that he's a bystander president or he's uh, uh, outside Washington. The way he does this, he never appears to be governing. That's why he's constantly campaigning. Why is there a campaign going on for Obamacare? It's already the law of the land. Why is he out campaigning for all this stuff that's already law? It's already going to happen. And my theory is that Obama has positioned himself as an outsider, not attached to anything that's happening. What he has made happen, he positions himself as opposed to it and against it and fighting for everybody else to overcome what he has done. And that's one of the reasons why the constant campaign. So he doesn't appear to be governing, so he doesn't appear to be part of Washington. So there are, he appears to have this mysterious, powerful bunch of forces that are up they're opposing him and stopping him from creating jobs and stopping him from giving people proper health care and stopping him from making their home values go up. But he's constantly out there fighting it. And he does that by constantly campaigning and never seen to be to be governing. So all of these scandals, he calls them. Uh, no, they're not distraction. They're real. But he likes them because they detract from the absolute reality of what has happened to this country as a result of his policies. Now, okay, there's a little bit of what L. Rushbo had to say in explaining his Limbaugh theorem about Barack Obama. Does that sound familiar to you? That's exactly what's going on right now 
with Donald Trump. He's, he's, he's constantly playing the part of an outsider who is fighting against the system, but he is constantly being stopped by all these sinister forces all around him. The deep, the deep state that, that is constantly working against him, and he can't do anything about it, even though he could fire whoever he wants. It's not his fault. And, and, you know, he's fighting against illegal immigration. It's not his fault. It's the courts. It's whatever sinister force who is blocking him. It's the stupid rhinos. It's the Democrats. It's whoever. It's not his fault. He's doing everything he can, just like Obama. Obama was doing everything he could. It's not his fault. Trump does the exact same thing. Obama would enact policies, and then he would pretend he's not responsible for the results. We see that with Trump too. All right? Trump does things and then pretends he didn't and then argues against the consequences of the things he did. We talked about this recently when he went for the, to the March for Life and he was being praised as the first sitting president to attend the March for Life. He's the most pro-life president ever. Meanwhile, he's given over $500 million to Planned Parenthood. He's funded Planned Parenthood last year in their own annual report admitted that they have received in the last year more taxpayer money than they have ever received in their entire existence. That's while Trump is president. Trump is signing those bills. He is signing the bills, giving that money to Planned Parenthood to kill babies. Yet he goes to the March for Life pretending he is the champion of the pro-life movement. It's not, he's doing everything he can to fight pro law, to, to, to fight um, abortion. Are you kidding me? But this kind of thing goes on and on and on. He, the last omnibus bill in which we continued to fund Planned Parenthood, we also gave money to sanctuary cities. Yet he's out there in his campaign rallies arguing against sanctuary cities. He's signing the bill's Continuing to fund these people. The way you stop this sanctuary city garbage is by cutting off federal funds to them. That's how you do it. But Trump doesn't do it. He, does, he doesn't care. Do you, do you, are you guys going to come to grips with this? He doesn't care. If he did, he wouldn't be doing the things that he's doing. He just needs to appear that he cares. And he needs to appear that he's fighting these fights without actually fighting these fight, fights and without actually caring about the issue. If we were really serious about sanctuary cities, he wouldn't fund, he wouldn't fund these bills. He wouldn't sign these bills funding sanctuary cities. You want to stop them? Cut their funding. Oh, but Mark, he couldn't do that. There'd be another government shutdown. Look, there, now all we do is we get endless excuses for why Trump can't ever veto anything because there'll be a government shutdown. Every veto results in a government shutdown. That's bull crap. Presidents have been vetoing bills since the beginning of this country. They don't all result in government shutdowns. Would Trump, if Trump were serious, what he would do is he would veto these things he would veto these bills over funding for sanctuary cities. He'd veto these bills over taxpayer money going to Planned Parenthood. He would veto them for, you know, the massive excess deficit spending. And then he would campaign 
against the Democrats and against the rhinos to put pressure on them to take those things out of these bills and to send him decent bills that didn't have those things. This is a no-brainer. The public is on our side on every one of those issues. Just take sanctuary cities. Trump vetoes it. No, I'm not signing this bill. I want to defund sanctuary cities. Do not send me another bill that provides money to any city or state that has sanctuary city policies. And then you go out and make the case to the American people. Hey, this is what the left is doing. This is what's going on in these sanctuary cities. They will not com- they will not um, cooperate with federal immigration officials. They will not follow federal immigration law. They are aiding and abetting and harboring uh, illegal alien criminals. People are being murdered and raped and robbed and just on and on and on because of illegal aliens and because of these sanctuary cities protecting them. The American people are overwhelmingly on our side on those issues. So you're telling me that you are going to lose a battle politically for vetoing a bill and making a fight over sanctuary cities? Of course not. You will gain support. Okay, but, but we don't even make the fight. No, instead, Trump signs these monstrosity bills, and then he pretends he has nothing to do with it. That's what's going on now. That's what, that's what you should be thinking every time you hear drain the swamp. Now, after three freaking years of the Trump administration, he's still complaining about drain the swamp. He's still tweeting out that garbage. He's still complaining about uh, illegal immigration. Well, actually, he doesn't even really talk about illegal immigration anymore. As I reported to you recently, uh, the Trump campaign, I heard this from Brad Parscale talking to Lou Dobbs, we're not really going to focus on illegal immigration. We've solved that problem. So we're just going to ignore it now. But whatever the issue is, he complains about it. He rails against the Democrats or whoever or the issue in general uh, and pretends he has nothing, nothing, he's got no power. There's nothing he can do about it. I'm sick of it. But yet, and, and again, that he's allowed to get away with this, that there's no pushback from Republican voters is why he does it. It's why he doesn't have to do anything except, you know, tweet out, drain the swamp or have a, a throwaway line about sanctuary cities in his, his campaign rallies. That's all, it, that's all it takes to keep the base happy. As long as it looks like you're fighting, they're happy. That's why we have what we have. And because we have a sycophantic, lapdog, conservative media, quote-unquote conservative, bunch of frauds, we have a bunch of, as a result, we have a bunch of ignorant Republican voters. They believe Trump is doing everything he can. They believe it's not his fault, so why blame him? Why put pressure on him? He's doing everything he can. You're telling me Rush Limbaugh couldn't figure this out? Of course he could. He knows this. This Limbaugh theorem. This could just as easily apply to Trump as it did to Obama. You don't hear anything about the Limbaugh theorem, do you? Not if it, not if he's discussing not if he's discussing Trump. You don't hear any criticisms of Trump in this regard, do you? No. 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 We got to we got to go along with the lie. You know? We used to talk about the Limbaugh theorem to expose the fraud of what Obama was doing, claiming he had no power to do anything and that nothing was his fault. But now we perpetrate, we perpetuate the lie, the same lie being told by Trump 
and his sycophants in the media. That, oh, it's not his fault. There's nothing he could do about it. He has no power. He's just an outsider railing against the system. That's your Limbaugh theorem. It applies right now. Rush was right then, and he's silent now. This is why I've been critical of him. This is why I've been critical of people like Mark Levin. Yeah, they'll talk a good game on the issues, but on the politics, they're asleep at the wheel. They don't want to push. They don't want to push. They don't want to put any pressure on Trump. They're, they're happy just to be his cheerleaders and push out the propaganda. Repeat the propaganda that there's nothing he can do, that it's everyone else's fault. Okay, uh, what else did Trump tweet today? Well, he is on a rampage against uh, Mike Bloomberg or mini Mike Bloomberg, as he calls him. Um, just for for me, just as an aside here, um, you know, I, I was amused with, with the nicknames at the beginning. Now uh, they just annoy me because I see them for what they are. They're the shiny objects. You know, they're just the distractions. You know, when Rush in that clip was talking about the Limbaugh theorem and he was talking about how uh, Obama loved the scandals because they distracted from the issues, basically. That's what Trump's Twitter feed is. I told you this a million times. He uses his Twitter feed to, to keep everybody uh, focused, not on the issues, but on whatever nonsense he wants you to focus on. And by the way, about these scandals or whatever in the Trump administration, impeachment, the Mueller investigation, uh, the constant attacks by the Democrats and the media, these are the best things that ever happened to Trump as president. Trump would not be sitting on this kind of approval within the Republican Party if it were not for these endless attacks. If it weren't, that's the reason why he is so popular inside the Republican Party. It's because we're rallying around him. The party rallies around him uh, to defend him from these attacks. And in the process of three years of this, it has created this devotion to Trump because Trump is constantly being seen as being unfairly under attack. And he's the only one. He's standing alone against all of our enemies. He's the only one fighting back. And we have to have his back personally. And because we're always defending him, there is no time and there is no room for a critical look of what he, at what he's actually doing or not doing on policy. And so we don't even focus on it at all. So all we focus on is defending him and seeing him under attack. And so he has this astronomical, whatever it actually is, it isn't 95%, but it's very high uh, support within the Republican Party. That's what, If Trump was not constantly under attack, this wouldn't be the case. If this were a typical presidency where uh, he was at least in part judged by the things he's doing and not doing, there'd be a lot more anger and discontent with him within the Republican Party. When people, you know, focused on the issues and actually educated themselves and realized, you know, uh, he's not doing squat on immigration. He's making the debt worse. He's funding Planned Parenthood. If we had an honest conservative media rather than uh, a propaganda lapdog media, uh, that we actually do have, they would point these things out. Uh, they would tell you 
that Trump actually has a lot more authority to stop illegal immigration than he does. And there'd be discussions on Fox News and in talk radio about Trump. Hey, why hasn't Trump done this? You know, we really need to light up the phones and get Trump to do this. He's not doing anything on illegal immigration. Why is he signing these horrible, horrible omnibus bills, funding Planned Parenthood and granting amnesties and funding sanctuary cities? Why is he ballooning the deficit even more than, than it was under Barack Obama? We would be discussing these things if we had a serious conservative media, but we don't. We have a conservative media who is constantly uh, engaged in defending Trump against these attacks and then just talking about the shiny object distractions that Trump wants you to talk about. So we're going to talk about mini Mike Bloomberg and we're going to talk about draining the swamp. Oh, and then all day today, we're going to be talking about John Kelly, probably, uh, you know, because John Kelly apparently came out and criticized Trump um, over some things. You know, John Kelly was this general who Trump put in as head of the Department of Homeland Security, uh, which was a terrible appointment because he is a pro-amnesty guy. He is uh, a little more, you know, he's essentially an open borders guy. He was not serious about border enforcement. He wanted amnesty. This guy is a rhino. He's terrible on immigration. And here he is in charge of the Department of Homeland Security, handpicked by Trump. And then after that, Trump moves him over to chief of staff, brings him even closer into the White House, and then he replaces him at DHS with Kirsten Nielsen, who is another open borders rhino to head the Department of Homeland Security. So John Kelly is out there criticizing uh, Trump today. So Trump is out trashing him on social media. What did he write here? Um, uh, here, uh, when I terminated John Kelly, which I couldn't do fast enough, really, you couldn't do fast enough? First of all, you're the one who freaking hired him. Then you didn't fire him. You, 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 you put him in one of the, okay, in terms of cabinet positions that are responsible for executing and delivering on your most important campaign promises, uh, Department of Homeland Security should have been like your most important appointment. Illegal immigration and your stances on illegal immigration is what puts you in the White House. If you were serious about keeping those promises, you would have put somebody, a hardcore, you know, border hawk, immigration hawk, in as, heck, as head of the Department of Homeland Security. Instead, you put an open borders rhino. And then you didn't fire him when he wasn't getting results. No, no, no. You brought him into the White House to oversee your day-to-day -day operations. You made him your chief of staff. So don't give me, I couldn't fire him fast enough. What are you talking about? And you didn't fire him, period. He left. <sighs> Anyways, when I terminated John Kelly, which I couldn't do fast enough, he knew full well that he was in way over his head. Being chief of staff just wasn't for him. He came in with a bang, went out with a whimper. But like so many exes, he misses the action and just can't keep his mouth shut, which actually he has a military and legal obligation to do. Uh, I don't, this doesn't even, oh yeah, okay, so he has an obligation to keep his mouth shut. His incredible wife, Karen, who I have a lot of respect for, once pulled me aside and said strongly that John respects you greatly. When we are no longer here, he will only speak well of you. Wrong. All right, so now we all hate John Kelly. That's how it works. Um, everybody who loved John, see, be, because back then, when John Kerry, uh, John Kerry, John Kelly was uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, I was criticizing him back then. 
uh, because he was doing nothing on border security, right? He's pushing amnesty. He's pushing all this weak rhino border policy. And it was obvious that he shouldn't be there. He, he, he needed to be out. So I was complaining about it. And of course, I was being attacked. Why? Because, well, he's Trump's guy. And if Trump put him there, then why are you attacking? We need to be celebrating him. Now that John Kelly is out and he's criticizing Trump, and now that Trump has tweeted uh, negatively against John Kelly, now we're all supposed to hate John Kelly. And, you know, he is the new devil. And that, geez, but this is what happens. Another shiny object. Another shiny object. And uh, here, here's something I posted today on Twitter uh, when I read the the uh, the attacks by Trump on, on Kelly. This is what I wrote. I never liked John Kelly. He is establishment to the core. He is an open borders pro-amnesty rhino. Yet Trump made him his DHS secretary. For all the attacks on these backstabbers in the Trump administration, no one even questions the judgment of the guy who put them there. All right, so my point is an obvious point. This happens over and over and over again. Trump trashes these people that he had in his administration. He handpicked these people and put them in these positions of power. You know, there's an endless list now of these people that have left the administration after Trump appointed them. They leave and then Trump attacks them. Rex Tillerson, Jeff Sessions, John Kelly, and on and on and on. Right? Trump puts them there. And then when he starts attacking them, he tells us they're like the dumbest person in the world. They're an idiot. You know, here, John Kelly, he was way in over his head. He couldn't be chief of staff. I remember he said that Rex Tillerson was an idiot or a moron or whatever. But this is what he always does. These people are so stupid and incompetent. So the obvious question is like, well, why did you appoint them in the first place? So I I post this tweet today. And then, you know, like clockwork... I get attacked by all the cultists and I get all the excuses. You know, it's not his fault. Um, Or you get things like, I like some of these. Here are the things you get all the time. Um, uh, You got to, quote, keep your enemies close. You know, that Godfather line. Keep your your friends close, but your enemies closer. So the the rationale is you, and people say this directly to me. You put your enemies in your administration so you can keep an eye on them. Or what I get even more often is Trump intentionally puts his enemies into key positions in his administration in order to expose them later. That's what he does. So it's it's mind-bogglingly stupid, but this is this is what happens when you're a cultist and you just you have to come up with whatever you can to defend your cult leader. So you say stupid crap like this. So we're to believe that Trump intentionally picks people he knows hate him and who are his political enemies. And he puts them in really important roles within his administration. Secretary of Homeland Security, uh, Chief of Staff, uh, Attorney General, uh, Secretary of State. He puts them in all these really important positions and allows them for, you know, over the course of months or even years to sabotage him and backstab him so that he could later fire them and then uh, expose them on Twitter. That is what passes for uh, a thoughtful defense of Trump. This is madness. But, but, but people believe this. And this is not an out. I've heard, I have heard this. God, I pro- I've probably heard it hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. This is like standard from these cultists. This is what they say. 
Um, what else do I get? Well, I get is, um, oh, well, you know, there's always a learning curve. No, no president, uh, could, could hire, could hire all these people on his own. This is a stupid one too. Um, you know, because Trump's an outsider. He didn't know anybody in Washington. He didn't know anybody to fill these positions. Uh, well, first of all, the campaign is like a year-long campaign. And what normal people do is they prepare and they start thinking about who they're going to put in key positions even before they win. All right? And then even after you win, you have two months from the day of the election to the day of your inauguration where all you have to do is focus on your transition. I mean, this is your full-time job for two months, finding people to put in these key positions. And yes, you, you, nobody can, can hire all the positions in an administration, but you don't have to. You leave that to other people. You make sure that your key positions are filled with your people. Okay? So you focus on your cabinet. You focus on your chief of staff. You focus on your most trusted inner circle of advisors. You get those right. All right? But he didn't even do that. How many cabinet people has he gone through? How many secretaries of Homeland Security has he gone through? How many secretaries of state and and chiefs of staff? It's ridiculous. Nobody does this. This is not normal. Okay, for, 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 you know, we had to have a businessman, right? Only a businessman could come in here. We need someone who's been a businessman because only someone with the kind of extensive executive, executive um, experience like Trump hiring and firing people. You know, he, he's going to hire only the best people. He has proven himself to be uh, historically inept when it comes to hiring decent people to put in these key positions. But, you know, you get you just get the, the constant excuses. Um, oh, another one I get is, oh, you can't you can't uh, you can't know everything there is to know about somebody based on their resume. So the idea is that Trump is hiring secretaries of state and uh, secretaries of Homeland Security and chiefs of staff and all these other high level positions just based on resumes that people send in. That's the argument. He's only going off of their resume. And you know people lie on resumes all the time, and they exaggerate. And you can't really, you can't really fully vet somebody just on, on a resume. You have to be a moron to believe this kind of nonsense. We're not hiring secretaries of state based off of resumes that people mail in. Come on, people, you could do better than this. This is stupidity. This, we're not hiring, you know, some low-level staffer at an accounting firm based on resumes that got, got submitted through the website. These are cabinet positions in the White House. Oh, good Lord. Okay. Uh, do I have anything else about that uh, on the... Tr- nah, no more Trump tweets today. Here's one. Oh, um, okay. I told you I wanted to get to a quick thing about, about the debt. All right. Here is an article that appeared in The Hill the other day. Fed chief issues stark warning to Congress on deficits. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell called on Congress to reduce U.S. federal budget deficit to ensure the central bank could adequately respond to a financial crisis or recession. Powell told a House committee Tuesday that lawmakers should curb federal spending while the economy is running strong before a downturn forces Congress or the Fed to pump stimulus spending into the economy. 
Putting the federal budget on a sustainable path when the economy is strong would help ensure that policymakers have the space to use fiscal policy to assist in stabilizing the economy during a downturn, Powell said Tuesday before the House Financial Services Committee. And see, this is a point I've, I've been making. We're supposedly in this great economy, right? You know, the economy's booming. This is the time to cut spending. This is the time to reduce your deficit. And if at all possible, to start paying down your debt. This is the time. Because things are not always going to be good. We're not always going to have a good economy. And when the economy turns down, our deficit is going to go up. Just as a matter of fact, because when the economy is in a downturn, is in a recession, our revenues to the federal treasury are going to go down. Okay? Growth slows. There's less taxable uh, money out there in the economy. Tax revenues go down. Federal deficits go up. Because so much of our deficit is just automatic entitlement spending. You know, it's it, it just going to automatically go out. So as when you reduce our revenues, just automatically our deficit's going to go up. And so when that happens, the, the response by our idiot policymakers always is this Keynesian approach uh, to, to try to stimulate the economy into growth with increased government spending. It never works. Uh, it's a lie that it works. It's been proven that it doesn't work, but we still buy into that lie. Uh, and it's just, it's not even questioned anymore. So uh, Powell here, the Fed chairman, is, is telling lawmakers, look, when we head into a recession, which we're going to eventually, then we need to uh, pump the economy with a, with a Keynesian approach and we need to increase spending. So in order to be able to do that, we need to reduce our deficit now so that we can spend more later when we have a downturn. But it just shows you just the irresponsibility of what's going on now. Okay, Trump was our savior, right? In every way, including economic. You know, he promised to reduce the, not only reduce the deficit, but eliminate the deficit. And after eight years, he promised to eliminate the debt. As crazy as that promise was, he nonetheless made it. We're doing nothing of the sort. We're exploding the deficit. Our deficits now are higher than Obama deficits. I told you the other day, uh, if Trump continues what he's been doing and serves two full terms, he will far surpass Barack Obama as the worst deficit spending president in American history. It's just, it's just the truth. That's what's going on. Um, it's reckless and it's going to catch up with us and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be bad. So there's that. Here's one that I've been sitting on for a while, this article, because I've been warning people about Texas for so long, for so long. And, you know, we'll see in November how far along the path of uh, turning blue Texas is. But Texas is turning blue. Make no mistake about it. The forces, the demographic and political forces that turned California from a robust, solid red state uh, into a third world sh blue shithole those same forces are at work in Texas right now. And they are eventually going to flip that state to the Democrats. And then once that happens, the downfall will be precipitous. 
it did not take California very long. Once it flipped, once it went from a Republican state, a red state to a blue state, it just went into the toilet at light speed. Okay. That will happen in, in Texas because it's, it's turning blue for the same reasons, the exact same reasons that California turned blue. California had a roaring economy up until recently. And people were flocking to California. Liberals from other states were flocking to California. Just like today, liberals from California and other liberal states are flocking to Texas because it has a roaring economy. But more importantly, illegal immigration is off the charts in Texas, just as it was in California. And it has been for decades, and now it's just crazy in Texas. And uh, you have thousands and thousands of anchor babies who are living in illegal alien households, who are voting age now. And they're voting, and they're hardcore leftists, The mo- you know, most of them. And that's what's happening. Now, here is an article about, um, you know, out of, out of Austin, Texas. So let me read a little bit. A fire broke out at a large homeless camp below the eastbound frontage road of Anderson Lane between IH-35 and Cameron Road Monday morning. I don't have the date on this article, but it's 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 a few weeks old. <clears throat> we come down here for medical calls a lot. We always feared there were being a fire. Well, there was a fire. Upon arrival, there were no residents of the camp that we had to deal with and rescue, explained Battalion Chief Matthew Cox of the Austin Fire Department. Cox said firefighters were worried about spaces, small fires, and possibly people they could not reach in the catacomb-like camp. Quote, it is definitely a very unsafe situation for our firefighters as they're going to have to dig through this stuff for hours, he said. Now get this. The camp, now this is a homeless camp. The camp spans roughly three football fields. Cox described couches, TVs, propane tanks, padlocked areas, mattresses, trash, and literally hundreds of needles. It is an entire system of underground homes, many containing stovetops, refrigerators, bunk beds, all built into the overpass. Quote, I like landscaping, and so I dug a big-ass cave into the wall under the bridge about 10 feet underground. I mean, I built a furnace and chimney in there, and it's nice and warm and cozy, explained Ridge Johnson, who lives in the camp. Johnson believes he is one of about 100 people living under the overpass. Quote, they've become very resourceful in dealing with lack of no power. Lack of no power. How about no power? That would have sounded better. They've become very resourceful in dealing with lack of no power. So there's a generator that we have to account for that's leaking into the watershed. Oh, that's good. The camp sits in a watershed on property the city of Austin's watershed department says belongs to TxDOT. That's the Texas Department of Transportation. All right, so you've got this homeless camp, three football fields in size, all along and under this overpass on uh, I-35 in Austin, Texas. That's the capital of Texas, a massive homeless camp. Does this sound like any place you've heard of? Does this sound perhaps like uh, San Francisco? Or Los Angeles, I'm telling you, I've been telling you a long time, 
Texas is going the way of California. Anybody who lives in Texas or has been to Texas knows this to be true. And if you live in Texas and you don't know this to be true, you are deluding yourself. This is happening. This is happening right before our eyes. This is happening in Austin, Texas. And I don't hear this being addressed by uh, Governor Abbott. You know, he could probably see this this uh, homeless camp from his office or when he, you know, drives around Austin. I'm sure he's familiar with it. I never hear about this. You know, I just hear the mindless crap, you know, because people like Greg Abbott, who in many ways is a good governor, but in the most important ways, he's overseeing the destruction of his state because like his predecessor, uh, Rick Perry, he has been part of the reason for this mass influx of Californians, these liberals from California into Texas who are now destroying his state. You know, Rick Perry and Greg Abbott have been going to these big companies filled with leftists in California and enticing them to relocate in Texas, giving them all kinds of tax benefits and all these special inducements to get them to move to Texas. And they do. And they bring a lot of their left-wing employees with them. And even if they hire in Texas, they're bringing their left-wing culture with them. And it's just one of the things that's turning Texas blue. But just the, the main point is, it's happening. Just as I told you it's happening. And it's going to continue to get worse. Because this is one of those things that we delude ourselves about. You know, when I try to bring up the fact that Texas is on the verge of going blue, I get attacked. People don't want to hear it. They only want to hear happy talk. They just want to hear the cheerleading. You know, that's not happening. We're winning. We're winning because Trump is in office and Trump is going to solve all our problems. We have no problems anymore because dear leader is in office. And we don't define winning by actually solving any problems anymore or addressing the issues. We define winning by Trump being in office. That's it. As long as Trump is in office, we have no problem. We have nothing to worry about. So go over to Twitter Look at Trump's Twitter feed, you know, make fun of Mini Mike or Crazy Bernie or, you know, make fun of Nancy Pelosi's teeth falling out. That's all you got to do. Don't concern yourself about illegal immigration. Don't concern yourself with the massive debt that we're piling up. No, 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 no. Sit back and relax. Enjoy the show. Because after all, that's what this is. The Trump presidency, when we look back at some point, it's going to be clear that it wasn't really a presidency. It was reality TV. It was a show. And it should not be surprising that electing a reality TV star would result in a reality TV presidency. It's not real. It looks real, but it's not real. Just like reality TV. It's not real. It's all a joke. It's all a narrative. It's all a spin. It's all a story. It's all entertainment. It's all shiny objects. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Don't mind what's going on over here. You know, ignore the massive homeless camp sprawling in the middle of Austin, Texas, the capital of the Lone Star State. Just ignore that. 
Just ignore the 400,000 anchor babies born last year in this country. And just forget the fact that Trump promised almost two years ago that he was going to issue an executive order to stop this birthright citizenship nonsense. Ignore that. After all, he's on Twitter making fun of Minnie Mike. That's what you need to, to focus on. It's much more fun. Don't worry about this stuff. It's going to work out. Trust the plan. That's where we are. And uh, that's where we're going to continue to be. As long as Trump is in office, I fear, because the people on our side aren't going to demand anything else. They're happy with the nonsense. They're happy with the show. They're happy with the reality TV. And they're happy with the juvenile insults. I'm not. I'm sick of it. Uh, and probably many of you are sick of it. But who are we? We make up but a small percentage of the conservative movement to the extent there is a conservative movement. You know, we are a drop in the ocean. That's it. Uh, there's not much we can do. Um, we can we can continue to talk to people, try to wake people up, you know, but uh, it's probably a futile effort. But nonetheless, we shall soldier on. Uh, and in the meantime, turn people onto this podcast. Go over to DeclaringLiberty.com. Get the URL for this episode and previous episodes. Blast it out on social media. Go over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show and leave a positive review. Help drive up our numbers, get more people listening to this show. Go over to markpantano.com and declaringliberty.com and subscribe at both of those websites so that you can uh, you can be privy to everything that I'm putting out there. So thank you once again, my friends, for listening. And until next time, remember, continue to fight like your freedom depends on it, because it does.